How can hang loose sound threatening? Hello and welcome again to Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob coming to you as always from the Winchester building in the downtown metropolis area of the city. I like the Winchester building, don't you? I, 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 <laughs> it's like you just wait till I'm done that sentence and then there you go. And then that's my, that's my cue to just interrupt it. Uh, there was a big second long pause there. I was worried. I was scared. Winchester's the best. This this week plus three weeks. In other words, during oh. the next four weeks. <laughs> I like to do math sometimes for the for the audience. Have we got a theme? We have a theme. This is our Woodstock 50th uh, anniversary celebration uh, of the festival, not the uh, town. And uh, so we're going to look at albums in the next four weeks from the artists who played in Woodstock, but they're from the 70s, of course. The, the, the albums would be from the 70s to keep with the theme of what the show is. So you can't do 60s albums, you can't do it before Woodstock. No, or else that would be sounds from the 60s. Which we're going to do sometime. We should do, uh, but only like do two, a, two episodes. a bastardized show. <laughs> and it was, now we're going to do a new show called Sounds from the 60s. And there are two shows, and then we're done. Yeah, <laughs> maybe just uh, like Greatest Hits albums. <laughs> so today, the album that we're going to look at is the 1974 album from Richie Haven's uh, Mixed Bag 2. Or as Rob calls it, what do you call it, Rob? Mixed Bag 2. <laughs> no, 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 I had the other name for it uh, by Gully. Oh, I had it written down. I think it was called... Um, Don't you tell me. No, Rob's got it written down. Don't you tell me. Oh, there it is. A long time for a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of mixed bag, it was called jumbled sack. Jumbled sack, too. Okay. I got a mental picture. I told you, I told you it was going to be a long wait for a bad joke, didn't I? I got a mental picture of Santa Claus falling down the chimney. So, anyways, we're going to get to that. I'm going to tell you what happened. First of all, I'm dead tired. <laughs> Rocking. Really tired today. I did about 10 things today in about... Uh, 11 minutes? Seven. Seven. Gas Probably hours. enough time for about to really to do seven things. Oh, that because everything went wrong today. Okay. And when I went to go print up... <laughs> when I went to go get the uh script at uh, the usual time it seemed to be gone <laughs> it seemed to disappear into the cloud which is the first time that's ever happened i've had it not print before but i've never had it just disappear not a big deal because it's really only the first 10 minutes because the rest i knew what it, what we were doing but the first 10 minutes or 15 we're gonna we're gonna be really Free for Skate all. Thin ice here. Okay. Oh, we can talk about anything. And uh, one of the things is uh, Uptown Mike, our producer, Uptown Mike, so-called producer. Good guy. His first week that he's gone on his vacation, either a vacation or a rehab of some sort. So everything is actually going pretty smooth this week, except for me not getting any. I usually sleep. I you Rob knows I have a nap. Night. No, at night. <laughs> I have a nap about a half an hour before the show, before I drive down to the Winchester building. Did not even get in my half an hour nap. So I'm cranky. cranky. And I don't want to hear like a bad Rob story today because I might get oh. So, but we're going to ask. my mind erased. We're going to ask Rob right now because we have about 10 minutes to kill before we get into the next segment of why are we doing this show a day late? Because we're taping this show oh, day a late. day later than usual. Well, uh, the work kind of uh, said, the, by golly, uh, Rob, listen, we need you. We need you bad. And we need you tomorrow night. And I said, hey, man, that's the night I do the podcast. So you you know where you can stick that suggestion. Okay, uh, so far this this story is 50% bullshit. And then, <laughs> and then they wave some money in front of my face. They okay, wave now it's Luka. 100% bullshit. <laughs> and I said, screw that thing I was going to do. What's his job you got for me? So Rob had to work nights. Oh, I, I got to explain your stories because they're always so bad. 
Well, uh, <laughs> people don't know what the hell you're talking because you jump right into the middle of a story like, well, I was doing this and then they offered me money. And I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Have you noticed that I'm not working tonight? Oh, my <laughs> God. I am no mood for this, Rob. <laughs> so Rob was supposed to work nights all this week. So we were supposed to do it, which we've never done. A daytime show. A day. That was going to be nuts. Which I don't even know if we're allowed on the Winchester building <laughs> during the day. and But that got canceled because all of a sudden the work at night got canceled and that was during off, the yeah, day. Yeah, someone didn't notify the building we were coming. and uh... <laughs> <laughs> the, usual, oh. the usual stupidity at work. <laughs> hey, you know, I don't mind uh, so long as uh, work is canceled. If it's not my fault, then I'm a happy guy. Yeah. If you didn't have to be there and they paid you, you wouldn't give a crap anyways. Yeah, pretty much. And so, I made damn sure I got paid for that. That's uh, that's what happened. Yeah, Mike's on vacation, which is good. I had something else I wanted to say about, specifically about you. Specifically My clothing? about, no, your clothing is always uh, dreadful to... Uh, My hats. Uh, I don't have a hat on. <laughs> you got to help me today, man, because I don't have a script for 10 minutes. You can't be Mr. Uh, uh, Flippin' because I need throw help. some random things at him and see how his mind see catches which one, See which one sticks. <laughs> I have a couple things that I, I thought I had in my mind that I was going to talk about. And they seem, to, uh, they seem to have left my mind because I'm not really thinking as well as you. No, and I'm I, really I don't help. Oh, you're no help. No. Oh. <laughs> When have you been a film? Except, except when I need an occasional, yes, that's correct, sir. <laughs> You're certainly right about that, Kenny. <laughs> so, um, there was a couple of odds and ends that I wanted to get straight the way. One thing, actually, I actually haven't talked to Rob about this. So, uh, I don't know no. if this is cool. It's not? So, but you continue. know what? Let's talk about it on the air, Rob. Let's talk about it on the air. Okay. Your behavior is deplorable. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, my idea, we were first, my idea was at first that we were going to do this show every second week, right? Yeah. Rob? We were going to we were going do it said, bi-weekly. And then you got yeah. ambitious. You got crazy. And then I was thinking, because... I read up on podcasts because I do my homework and everything. They they said like, and I'll tell you why we we want to do it every second week is that we have other things that we want to write. It's not that we don't like doing the show. If we, if this was the only thing we did as far as writing and podcasting was concerned, we would do it twice a week if we wanted to. We need sponsors that pay, not sponsors that sue. <laughs> I wish Mike could hear that. Uh, so we have other things that we want to write and other podcasts that we want to do. And with the schedule of one a week, one show a week, it's it's really hard to write anything. We have we have a couple of plans for shows, and absolutely nothing has been written in the last nine months since we started this show. So no, I, I, I need time because it really does take a whole week. After the show, the show I, I have like one or two days that I can actually do other stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's a little, a little hard to get started. On Even stuff. Rob, like who doesn't write or anything for this show, he has hard time making time for it because he has a pretty uh, tough job he has to do. And my job is to write this show and come up with things. I'm not making excuses. It's just that what we have planned is really cool stuff for hopefully for our fans in the future for next year, but we can't get the scripts or anything written if we don't have time to write it. But then I was thinking, since we have so many concepts on here that maybe we might do two weeks and then take a week off for a theme that we're doing so that we wouldn't have people waiting so long for the theme to and do its thing yeah now that goes against what they say you should do for a podcast which you should have a schedule like weekly or bi-weekly or m once a month or whatever but you know what this is our show and we can do whatever we want <laughs> yeah and anybody and if it's foolish then it's foolish but i think it's a good idea like we're not starting yet these but i 
like we would have this Woodstock shows, like four shows in a row, four weeks in a row. Then we would take a break for a week. And then we would do another concept for two weeks and then take a break. That way, at least we would have some time to work on our other projects, which are meant for you, actually, our audience. Not for us. We don't care if these other projects get off the ground, but we care that you care about what we care, that we, you care. We're not the ones who are going to benefit from this. <laughs> oh, no. We're not going to financially benefit from this. Trust me. So that's our plan. Uh, probably, well, no, definitely after these four shows that we're doing for the Woodstock celebration, we will be taking a week off. And then... Uh, I was that, uh, looking forward to getting back to the unrelated non-thematic albums, the ones that just pop out of midair. And you know what? What the hell is that? We will do that. We will do that for a couple of weeks, like have no theme, just have to pick a couple albums and take a week off. It's just that uh, I wasn't too thrilled about just the just the schedule that people kept on saying we had to do. It has to either be weekly or it has to be bi-weekly. You know what? We'll do it when we damn well feel that it's appropriate to do it. Because if we did a four-part episode arc like we're doing with Woodstock and did it over uh, every bi-weekly, well, that would take like two months. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just not that's not possible so um that's our plan now i think we're done with the catching up and what our plans are for the future time to get on with the show time to get on with the show this week uh we're, we're talking about uh woodstock in fact it's funny because our our topic for the next four weeks is going to be a 60s thing which we're not supposed to talk about but um one of the things was uh, there was a uh, about two days before the Woodstock 50th anniversary, which was August 15th. I hear a lot of the original musicians are going to be there. Which was August 15th is that uh, a radio station in Philadelphia, WXPN. A lot of people might know this already. Did the did the whole festival on the radio streaming? From beginning to end, and the exact oh, time, the entire uh, it was Rob recording. It was fabulous. Like I swear to God, Rob, you really felt that you were listening to it at the time because what they did, and thank you WXPN in Philadelphia, because it was a brilliant <laughs> idea. So it started. I'll tell you, Rob. It started at the exact time of. That the Woodstock Festival started. So it was exactly 50 years from 50 the second. 50 years, August 15th, which was, it started on a Friday, but because August 15th was a Thursday this year, it started on a Thursday at exactly uh, 5.07 p.m. Eastern Time. And I actually was like, oh, because I had heard about it. I, I'd seen it on the internet because it was being heavily promoted. And so I, I remembered it that day because I was working on scripts and stuff like that. So I turned it on. I missed the Richie Haven set who opened up the festival. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember from the movie. And I caught uh, the, the Sweetwater was the first band. Now, Sweetwater was supposed to be the first act to play, but they got stuck in traffic, so they got Richie Havens to, <laughs> to play. The We're going to talk about Richie Havens, about his festival appearance when we, when we talk about the album. But uh, I caught, that's when I started listening was, was halfway through the Sweetwater set, and it was very hippie. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be hippie, man. There's, you know, Sweetwater has like, they have like, uh, no guitars. Like it's like flutes, and it's like, and it's like uh, you got a chick singer, and it's like, uh, oh, those are the bass, cello, bass type, cello. Uh, they had a cello, and you know, like a, a harpsichord type of keyboard, and it was very. I don't know. Super hippie. Super hippie. Uh, Beyond I, hippie. Like Wonderland fairy, not like gay fairy, but I mean like Wonderland. Ooh, look where we are. And it was actually interesting. It wasn't all that good, but it was no. It was interesting. But it was worth a listen. It was worth the listen. Uh, you know, I'm not a, I, I and mean, it was better than their albums. I, I've heard a couple of their albums, and they're not very good. But it was interesting, and I did listen to that. And while I'm working. A guy that nobody remembers. Oh, and, and the interesting thing, Rob, is that while after the band plays, 
they um they played all the talking you know like chipmunk talking yeah to the audience and making the announcements like just like they would at that time 50 years ago and then if there was no announcements then the announcer would just come on and say and play and say oh we're taking a break because this is the time that nothing this is really a quiet happened segment yes of, uh... So they would play just 60s music. You're just here, hippies milling about. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hippies. And so they would play 60s music just to kill the time until... So then they would put on the next act at exactly the time that it went on. They did this for everything. And that's the thing that this is, is bugging me is how could they run recording machines for, what, 72 hours and sync them up? Like, Well, I don't know the technical aspects of it. <laughs> Somebody did a heck of a job. They uh, they did a heck of a job, and you know what? I th- people might not believe this if you didn't listen to it, but you really felt that you were at home listening to it as it was happening, and it was really wild. And you were like going, "Oh, I wonder what the Who's going to play." Oh yeah, I know what the Who's going to play because it happened fifty years ago. <laughs> but it really felt like that because it. Because as soon as the band went off, you know, you know, Chipmunk would say, oh, that was the incredible string band or whatever. And isn't that great? And he'd start with his announcements. Makes you want. And you just felt like you were listening to it as like you would if you were watching Live Aid at the time. Like if, if people remember when Live Aid was on or any concert that they would have on TV in the 80s, they used to broadcast them live. That's what it kind of felt like. <laughs> it just kind of felt like you were actually listening to it while it was happening. I thought it was the coolest thing. And I got to hear a lot of music that I had not heard before. One of the band, well, one was Bert Summer, who nobody knows of. He only released like two or three albums, and then he died early, unfortunately, of uh, lung disease. He was pretty good. He just came out like... Uh, the first day, Friday, was the acoustic day. It was almost all acoustic bands or, you know, hippie bands or whatever. That's what caused me with Richie Havens. Is, uh... that, Richie Havens was supposed to play earlier. Not not earlier, but later on in that day, and that's why he was picked first. Uh, but that's, you know, that was the theme. And Bruce Summer was really good, not spectacular. You can, you can kind of tell why he didn't make it big or was kind of forgotten about. But he wasn't bad. And then... Uh, Tim Harden. (laughs) Tim Harden was really wasted. (laughs) It was a terrible set. Uh, Tim Harden, in fact, the legend is that Tim Harden, like Tim Harden, unfortunately, was uh, a heroin addict from like 18 till the day he died, basically. Like he kicked it for a while and then he started up and he died very young, I think 39, something like that. So he took, he decided, took some smack of heroin, you know, and... Uh, Let's see what kind of a show so I So they had to delay the show until he was, like, capable of doing it. This is true. They had to <laughs> delay the show. And then he came on, and he was pretty good by himself. The first half of his set, he did by himself. And <laughs> he was pretty good. Like, he was kind of going off in there. <laughs> kind of going off on his own but it was kind of cool because he was all alone so it kind of sounded like yeah he, was he wasn't like, wasn't screwing the band up he wasn't screwing the band up <laughs> which is gonna happen very soon <laughs> so and then he did like oh reason to believe everybody knows the song reason to believe that Tim that's Hart the one wrote. i know him from. yeah and he did that it's a two-minute song he writes very brief songs but it went on for like four and a half minutes and he just kept repeating the last the last chorus and verse just because he was so into it he was kind of grooving really on it and uh, strung out like he was just oh this is so cool i'm gonna repeat it again and it was so long he'd gone to a different uh, musical wilderness exactly so then halfway through the set um the band comes on and it's not a it's not a big band it's just like bass and drums and you know a second guitar and piano or something like that and he was just doing the same thing. He was playing the songs, but then he was going off into areas, and the band is like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> They're getting caught in wrong keys, and and it was an utter disaster. And, of course, reading about you can read about it now, of course, like you couldn't back then and say, and they were all going, man, 
Tim was so strung out, man. And we didn't know didn't. what we, we, were, we were supposed to go to, what chord we were supposed to change to. <laughs> you didn't see too much of that in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> hence, hence Tim Harton getting cut out of the movie. Um, <laughs> you can actually see his performance of If I Were a Carpenter when he was alone. And it's actually really good. Uh, it's one of the few high spots of his, <laughs> one of the few okay spots of his whole set and but you can tell you can tell just by looking at him and you can definitely tell he's talking to the audience and he's like you know he's talking heroin you know like how you talk when you're on heroin I, I, I doing everybody and talking really slow and very sad actually in a way but uh maybe a lot some of this i'll cover next week i'll cover a couple of bands that i heard and then uh uh i uh, I didn't get Ravi Shankar. I didn't listen to that. And it might have been on purpose. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I missed Melanie on purpose because Melanie is just a, I just can't stand her <laughs> voice. I just can't stand it. It's like, it's like cats meowing in heat. Oh my God. <sighs> but I, so I missed that one. And I, now we're That's a, a good little, time to sleep. That was a good time to eat. It was getting about supper time and I was eating and doing other things. Then I don't know what time it was. About nine o'clock, Arno Guthrie came on. Okay. And he was very funny. He was very stoned, but he was stoned in the he was in still the in the marijuana. charming stage. Yeah, in the marijuana <laughs> type of stone, not the heroin smack type of stone, but the drunk and 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 uh, marijuana type of high. Yeah. And he was telling stories. He was very funny, very funny, and. Uh, Unfortunately, the music wasn't real good. Uh, Rob, I don't know if you know this, but the coming into Los Angeles that is in the Did they Woodstock film, that's from another concert because uh, the coming into Los Angeles that he actually did in Woodstock was not too tight. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I really enjoyed Ar Arlo Guthrie's set. It was very, it was very, um, I don't know, just loose, I guess. And loose in a good way, not loose in a in a Tim Harton, uh, uh, let's let's fuck around way, but loose in a, and hey, how's everybody going doing, man? And I got a story for you. And it was really fun. And then uh, I didn't hear Joan Baez, although I have heard that Joan Baez's set was killer. And uh, I think we'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll we'll talk next. We'll week talk about, about day two. About next day week. two next week <laughs> and day three. I've heard most a lot of these sets anyways before that but i really want to commend uh, uh wxpn for doing that because it really brought you back to the time of what it was like to be there in the exact time that it happened and what a cool idea to do <laughs> nobody else in the whole I world thought of doing that they had 72 hours of continuous well they recording. did because it's been released rob it's just been released this year for the 50th anniversary of 38 cds how they did it was an engineering feat. How they actually did the it and recorded everything. The only song that they missed, this is true, was one song. And thank God it was it was inconsequential because it was Sean Anna. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. They missed they missed in their reels of recording, they missed uh I don't know what song Sean Anna did, but obviously. Not a big loss to rock and roll history, as people know about my love of Sean on all. So, anyways, that's you know, and also next week I got a really funny article I'm gonna bring that was extremely sarcastic. I can't, I, I don't want to give anything away, but trust me, you want to tune in next week for this hilarious article I found from a French magazine on the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. Let's just say they didn't like too many of the acts. <laughs> <laughs> and when the French put you down, they put you down. <laughs> was so, it uh, the so one that was written recently or uh, 50 years ago? Recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah recently. It might not have been. I don't know if it was for the 50th. It could have been for the 40th or something. But it was recently. Um, I also remember, just before we go into the Richie Havens album, that I actually remember watching 
the 10th anniversary on TV of Woodstock and Jeff Bridges hosted this. It was on like ABC or CBS or something like that. I don't think anybody else saw it. <laughs> it's in 1979 and they had this they had this special two-hour special on Woodstock. And even in 19... I hadn't seen Woodstock in 1979. No, but, I, I saw it. I think I read it in high school. I mean, I, I knew of Woodstock, but even in 1979, this is this is how old we are. <laughs> this is this is like the like like the tenth anniversary. Now it's like the fiftieth. But I remember and I was watching it and it was very um it seems so long ago. Like 1979 to 1969 seemed that like it seemed like an eternity. 40 years. It like, was a lifetime. Yeah, it really because did. it actually was for us. You know what? It <laughs> actually was. It actually was. I mean, there was nothing to distract us with computer games or phones or that they have now. So actually 19 and a lot happened between 1969 and 1979. So it was a huge difference, a lot more than 1979 to like 1989, except for the Miami Vice clothes and stuff like that, <laughs> and the bad music. Anyways, oh, yeah. I, I got other Woodstock stories that we'll be telling in a, in a couple of weeks for yeah. uh, four weeks, but we're gonna we're gonna talk now about Richie Haven's album from 1974, Mixed Bag Two. And that's a Roman numeral two if it's you're looking Roman, for it. Yeah, it's not the number two or the the word two. It's the Roman numeral or two. Or the other word two. <laughs> There's two. There's, There's two, two twos. twos yeah. yeah. Um, a little background. I, I, a lot of people know about Richie Haven. Some people might not know, but Richie Haven a, is a folk artist, and he uh, made his first album, which was Mixed bag one it wasn't called mixed bag one. That was the one I first saw when I was uh, searching through there, and then the, there was no mixed bag two, and I was panicking. <laughs> like, oh, we got to do the show in two hours, and I haven't uh, even found the album. Oh God! <laughs> so he released mixed bag his first album in 1967. It was a pretty sold pretty well for for a folk artist. I mean, folk artists by the oh. late 60s didn't start not to sell so much. Did he do uh the, 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 the how much writing did he do on the album? Yeah, you know, on this one or this first album or on his first one. His first one, he did he did quite a bit. Maybe it, not any more than half, but close to half. Okay, okay. He he. I was uh, curious. That's a good question because I was going to talk about this later. How he usually writes about one or two songs and and does cover and songs for each album. But I think everybody knows him for his covers. His covers are extraordinary because he really... He does them Richie Haven style. He does them like... <laughs> I can't say any better now. He does them the way he does them, and they're so different. And he, a lot of times he just picks really good songs to do that you think, oh, that's not... Oh, and then you listen yeah, to it and exactly. goes, wow. He, Band on the Run, I was going to skip over that one. I'm not talking about the yet. <laughs> um so we'll get to that in a second uh but uh he started out and this is a good story because if you you should have to watch richie havens live because he is or was unfortunately one of the greatest performers if you ever seen him live either on tv probably on tv i mean woodstock alone he was unbelievable but anytime you saw him on tv especially when he was alone or just accompanied by another guitarist or whatever he was unbelievable so there were these stories of his early days in greenwich village in the folk clubs when he would play like the bitter end and cafe wa and what they would do in those days in the mid 60s is you got to play up there but the only money you got you didn't get paid you got paid for the audience. The audience would throw money in your. They put the money in the hat. In the hat, yeah. and they would go around. And uh, if you if you were kind of mediocre or you played music that they didn't like, mm. even though it was good, they didn't give. That hat was going to be pretty late. So everybody in the village, all the new, all the all the hep cats, as they say, who were the musicians, always knew if Richie was going to be at like the bitter end or whatever club that night. You left because <laughs> he was going to get all the money because when he played, it was just, it was like tear the roof off because, and I mean, I, every time I've seen Richie Havens on TV, it's been just, oh my God, I'll tell you a story. Um, 
my friends and I uh, rented the paper. Well, we we were going to watch the Bob Dylan 30th anniversary concert in 1992, and you had to rent the paper viewing uh, thing, so you had to get the the receiver, right? And we the were all special excited. box. The special box that you just <laughs> had to get for that night, and you paid like 15 bucks or whatever. And all my friends are, and myself were Dylan nuts, so we we sat around and waiting for this concert, and it's a three-hour concert. It's a long concert. And so it's, it starts, and we were all excited, but we're all like real young kids. We're like early 20s or whatever, so we're also drinking, and we're kind of getting a little bit rowdy. And it's a good concert for a while, like the, but it's pretty pedestrian. Like Nobody put in a bad performance at the beginning, but every, nobody kicked it up a notch. They were still getting uh, they warmed up there. Yeah, they they had kind of maybe they had planned it that way to kind of put the the tribute artists uh, that were maybe not so hot at the beginning. I don't know, but it, it, we were going and saying this is a pretty good show, but we weren't just we weren't really just getting involved in it. Then about a third of the way through the show, Richie Havens came on, and he did a six minute version of Just Like a Woman by Dylan. And I tell you, you had a room full of 20-something guys just glued to the TV. Had set. to stop and watch. It's like, yeah, it's Grabs like time stopped. Ear. And all of a sudden, all this talking that we were doing stopped. And we watched Richie. And this is an honest-to-God true story. If you could have all these testosterone guys all of a sudden turn their heads, stop talking to each other about things, right. and just watch Richie Havens and get absolutely blown away by it. And you know what? I think it ignited the other artists because the concert turned around from that moment on and it just, the rest of the concert blew us away. But it was that moment when Richie Havens came on just by himself with his guitar and did this, you know how he does the cording with his thumb and just was blew us away. Like, I mean, it was hard to get eight guys who were <laughs> in their young 20s to watch with such awe. And we did. It was like, wow, what did we just see? This guy just blew us away with his guitar and his voice. And uh, I will never forget that. In fact, most of my friends uh, became big Richie Havens fans after that. And they would go to the concerts when he came to the city. And I always wanted to go because no matter how inadequate his recording career has been, especially in the last 30 years of his life, if Richie Havens comes to town, man, you went. And it's always been my regret that I was always busy and could never go because they always raved about the, the show that you missed. <laughs> the show. Oh, man, that was a good concert last night. Oh, damn, but I had to work. Um, that's always my memory of Richie Havens is how we just made these young guys just who thought that they knew so much about music that they couldn't be they couldn't be awed by anything. He awed us. He awed us. Oh, us. <laughs> we were covered in all dust. <laughs> I saw him once on the TV in the 80s. I was uh, flipping through the channels early Saturday or Sunday morning. It was a public access show. I think he happened to be in town. And another guy who was in town was John Sebastian of the Love and Spoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they got to jam. And I remember them uh, doing uh, All Along the Watchtower. And, uh, oh. They were good. I saw, I have seen. <laughs> I have I don't know if I've seen or heard Richie Havens do All Along the Watchtower, especially with John Sebastian. What was John? Was he playing guitar or harmonica? He was playing uh, acoustic guitar and uh, John Sebastian too. Yep. Both yeah. Of them. Yeah. I could. Uh, John Sebastian is a good accompaniment. He knows what to play with the other person. Yeah. Like I have heard Richie Havens do All Along the Watchtower, and it is also one of those mouth-opening type of things where you go. It's like, his voice that grabs you. It's his voice and that 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 strumming, that fast the, strumming. Yes, uh, with his me. thumb covering the cord. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, but it is so emotionally effective. Yeah. Now the problem yeah. is, Rob, is that anytime you take Richie Havens away from just him and his guitar. Or him and a small accompaniment of another guitar, like John Sebastian, or maybe some Congos or something. It loses it, something. It it dilutes, and I don't know whether Richie tones it down because there's an actual accompaniment with him. Whether 
I really don't know why, but his records, I remember my friend also who has seen Richie Havens on the, the Bob Dylan tribute concert. Um, right after that, like about a month after that, he bought a, a, a CD because he, he was so hooked from that performance. I had to find he, out more about this he guy. Had, I, you know, we knew about Richie Havens, but he had to have a CD. He said, if this guy's as good as that, man, I got to get all his CDs. So he bought uh, Richie Havens Sings the Music of the Beatles and Bob Dylan. And I remember, like, I was with them when, when we bought it. And then we went to his place to listen to it. And it was so pedestrian. It was nothing like Richie Havens live. And he was so disappointed. And there's something about... It's the live performances. That, yeah, I can't It's remember. the live... I don't know whether the live performances <laughs> juice up Richie Havens or whether the accompaniment tones him down. But there is something very pedestrian about when... <clears throat> when he's accompanied and i found that with this album now this album is very well uh i don't very well titled because <laughs> <laughs> it is a very much a mixed bag and i i feel very much that he didn't know exactly what direction to go i that's my impression when i when i hear it like what what you know this sounds good but how about if i did this song this way and it sounds like a whole mixed bag. Some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. So that, that's a good selection for a cover. That isn't. It's very much a mixed bag to me. And it just sounds, again, that even though he comes off strong in some things, like he forceful, yeah, yeah. that there's other times that he's like, wow, there's accompaniment, so I'm not going to. I'm not, I better tone it down. And I don't um, think play a Richie, band song. And play, yeah, play it with the band. But I don't think that's his strong point. I think just let Richie play his guitar. And that's like having Jimi Hendrix in the room and saying, hey, Jimmy, we've got a couple of guitar players. So just kind of cool it. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, you just want to strum along there. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's really what I think Richie Haven's recorded career from the 70s on. He did make some very good records in the late 60s. And then he was kind of a forgotten artist. I don't even think this album in 1974 was even reviewed in Rolling Stone. I just, he was almost, he was almost a nostalgia act even by the mid 70s because he just couldn't produce thrilling material on record. Kind of like a jazz artist. Well, I, uh, I will not put down jazz. <laughs> recorded jazz on this show thank you very much i stand uh, up for my fellow jazz people. i will <laughs> so i just want to but i'll just say uh my piece on this uh i really like really liked his version of Ooh child everybody knows that's child. yeah that's the first song i heard and i was thinking wait a so i i've heard this song from the 60s it's, that's what tipped me off that uh, maybe he hadn't written all of these <laughs> well, early 70s, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Oh, maybe it is very late 60s. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, uh, but this is a very good version. He sings this very well. And you know, he sings it, when Richie sings, he, he, he always, like this song, when you hear the original version, sounds like he's singing to a woman, right? When Richie sings songs, he always feels like he's singing to a group. Like, ooh, child, things are going to get better. Like, he always sings like he's, like he's this big peacenik, right? And I got this anyways from it. Maybe not other people won't. But when I hear him sing this song, it's like, hey people, things are gonna get better. You know? I just felt that when, when he was singing this song. It gave a new dimension to the song and made it a little bit different for me. And I really liked it. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with his voice. Yes. He's got a voice which is uh, it's it's partially gravelly. It's not full-blown gravelly like uh, Bob Seger or uh, Marianne Faithful. It's it just uh, hits that gravelly thing. Uh, you know what it is? It's forceful on certain notes. It's forceful. Like it's not. It's you're right. I really agree with like the Bob Seger thing. But I love his voice. I just I love listening to him. Well, that's half his power. Half his power is guitar playing and his imaginative arrangements yeah. for cover tunes. But the other half is his voice is so commanding. And I can't really describe it other than that. It's not a great voice. It's not one of the greatest voices you're going to hear. But I guarantee you, it will affect you. Yeah. If you put him in the right situation with the right background, and he's allowed to sing like he really feels it, it will affect you. Swear to God, it will. <laughs> this is that presence thing we were talking about. He forces you to listen, like, without, you know, putting a gun to your head. 
Right, exactly. Strictly through the performance. Yeah, very good point. Um, there, yeah, I don't know. Headkeeper, I didn't even recognize. I know this song. It's a Dave Mason song from Traffic. And, you know, I like Dave Mason, but I didn't That was the one song, the song. That, that stood out for me. I really liked uh, Headkeeper's thing. Uh, maybe it's because, I don't know why. I just, I didn't dislike it. I just thought it was pedestrian. I just, just it didn't. It, it wasn't didn't, what it, it could have been. It could have been better, and I, but it wasn't. It wasn't terrible. Again, a kind of a mixed bag type of thing. I kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do with this song. You know, like again, I don't know what to do. It seems like, and I hate to belabor this point over, but it seems like Richie doesn't know what to do with an arrangement as far as other people playing it. He knows what to do with an arrangement when, when there's it's him, but it's him or another guitarist, and it's simple acoustic. But it just seems like sometimes. I don't know where to take this. And I'll give a good example coming up. Um, uh, Wandering Angus. Uh, I actually I actually thought there was, this was, this is a William Butler Yeats poem. I actually thought this was really cool. This one I had to stop. And uh, every time I listened to it, I was trying to listen to the timing on it to find out if he's actually speeding up or slowing down. Because I know his guitar at times was like that fast strumming i noticed that too right i'm thinking is he <laughs> uh you know playing along with the time or is he actually speeding up and slowing down and playing with the what he feels you know what and i, I think could not get a fix on i it. i get like <laughs> i can't say this for sure and we can't find this out now unfortunately but there was accompaniment with him and if he is kind of um uh, speeding up and slowing down with the they, how do they know ahead of time? Uh, I get the feeling, it? I just get the feeling like, like that's the way I do it. And this might have been recorded just by himself and then had other had instruments put on. on. Yeah, had overdubs later on <laughs> because I noticed that too. And it was part of the attraction that I had in this <laughs> song. You don't hear that anymore because everyone records digitally and you can't sync up a, a click track to something that uh, speeds up and slows down. I mean, I think, can, but it's an impossible I agree. amount of work. And I think, I think... Well, that's why nobody does it anymore. People should have <laughs> let Richie go and do stuff like this instead of, instead of and I'm just presuming, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they said, okay, this is how the arrangement goes, or Richie says this is how the arrangement goes, and he'd be reined in, and he'd go with the, with the already established background accompaniment, when really the accompaniment should follow should what he's following doing. Him. Yeah. yeah, he shouldn't be accompanying the accompaniment. No. That's bull. No. <laughs> now, uh, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, which is the last song on the, the first side, this is one of my, I think it's a, I can't really it's be um, impartial about this because I think that Sad Eye Lady of the Lowlands, done by Dylan, which is over 11 minutes long, is a writing masterpiece. I think if there was one song in the world that I wish that I had written, it would be that song. And I've even tried in my ways to write it once or twice or to emulate it. And if I told you what song, Rob, you would know right away. Because <laughs> we let's just say we tried to play this song that I wrote for two or three albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so Rob I knows the song. Know it. And it was long. It started out as 20 minutes long. I tried to write. I tried to pay homage to Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands with my song, which I could never get right because I wanted it to be 20 minutes long. Like Dylan wanted his to be almost 12. And everybody wanted to cut it down. Not necessarily Rob. Rob, no, Rob no. would love all songs just to be the way they were intended. But everybody always wanted to cut it down to be better. Cut it, and the yeah, more it was yeah. cut down, the worse the song got. Yeah. Uh, Until and, eventually, uh, just it, it, you couldn't do it with the band anymore. It just, it and eventually, good. I just had to do it by myself because it just didn't work. The point is, I can't be objective about... Uh, that particular song? About it because I really think this is a masterpiece of a song written and performed by Dylan. But I do think that this is a really great. Of course, I love this song. I do think this is a really great version. It had it's an up-tempo thing because this is kind of a dirge, as you can imagine. 
lots of words by Dylan, 12 minutes, almost 12 minutes long, and all vocals. You can imagine that he extends vocal you know, lines quite often. Here, Richie speeds it up, and it actually serves the song, gives it a lighter feel than just a, a long 12-minute ballad. This time, it's a seven-minute, and he takes phrases out. I think he takes the right things out of the song. Anyways, I liked it. I, I didn't think it was superb, but I liked it. And my Bob's, thoughts no i'm just i'm just <laughs> waiting for the fly to leave the room <laughs> do you remember it <laughs> i do the first side of the album kind of uh that was the one that uh that stood out a bit uh, the second side i don't remember too much yeah okay we're going to talk about that sure? uh, i uh i really want and th this is one of the few times i really wanted to talk almost about every song on an album we don't usually do that because I felt no, was, I have a few that stand out for me, and usually yeah, yeah. But this, this, this was such a mixed bag, as the album is titled. That I thought that, uh, that, and he does, he does versions of covers that I thought deserved to be spoken of. So I thought, well, anyways, he he wrote he wrote the song "Someone Sweet," and uh, less said about it, the better. I don't really want to comment. I thought it was just terrible. I it was just it was just terrible. That one was kind of folky, as I recall. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to skip Band on the Run for now because I want to have fun with that. Um, the Loner was good. You know, Neil Young's song, The Loner. I, just, I thought it was, again, a mixed bag of I don't know where to take this song. Too many too many people probably telling Richie to tone it down. And it was nice, but it wasn't bad. You want to be successful, good. don't you, Richie? Exactly. Then uh, you ought to do this. Yeah. Um, Makings of You, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, the Curtis Mayfield song. Love Curtis Mayfield. <laughs> um, and I, I, yeah, it was okay. Again, again, the second side is is kind of, he loses steam. It was the steam on the second side. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, all in all, I found that uh, after I was done listening and making notes, I still kind of enjoyed listening to this one. I kept playing it. Uh, it's, you know what? That's a just good to point. hear Richie Haven. You know so what? Good. Just to hear his—that's <laughs> very nicely put. Because it's comforting to hear Richie Haven's voice. It really is. Yeah. And you know what? It's not a bad album. It's not an album you would play all the time, but it is an album you would go back to now and then. Uh, yeah, it's not not stellar. Um, I just want to talk about the uh, the two songs that are left over. The Indian Prayer I really liked. It's it's kind of a uh, based on. Um, a Pete Lafarge song that Johnny Cash did on his Bitter Tears album, Songs for the American Indian. Uh, I just love the lyrics, you know, and the grass shall grow. And it's a very spiritual Indian song. I just love the way Richie did it. He does, he does like socially conscious songs really good, you know, because it's almost like that's what his vocation was to speak to a crowd about, you know. I think he's a son of a preacher. <laughs> And then band on the run. I don't understand what the fuck's going on there. You got a five. You got like a five-minute song written by Paul McCartney, and this was a really bad choice for me by Richie. Was he's got a there's band on the run is a three-part song, right? Yeah. There's three distinct parts in it, and he takes the first, very first part of the song, which is the the shortest part of it, and he only plays that. And so he just sings the the, the one Makes or two verses the... over and over again, and it's a waste of a of a really good opportunity for Richie to put a stamp, his own stamp, on this song, and he only put his stamp on forty seconds of this song because <laughs> it's he stretched it out to three and a half minutes, but he only he only actually recorded like the forty seconds that Paul McCartney recorded in the first. Like I don't understand it. It's it's baffling to me. I can't imagine like uh, doing a cover of a a band from like one year ago. That's a good point. I mean, too. This was seventy four, and uh, that one came out in seventy three. That came out in late seventy three. So this yeah. is this is almost a brand new song that he's recording, and uh, I don't understand. I this is just a bad decision. Uh, and again, this this is where the mixed bag comes in. There's some really good decisions, like with Ooh Child. And you know, wandering Angus, and then there's just decisions that baffle me. Like, why do, 
one eighth of the version of Band on the Run. <laughs> what the? What are you thinking? Um, and uh, I like yeah. I, overall, overall, I, I I think I said what I said, which was I still would put this on. I still love. I I am I I think you would say this too. Hey, if there, if it's a Richie Havens album, no matter what it is, I'll listen to it. Yeah, it's Richie Havens, man. But I give this a good three because it is a mixed bag. It's not it's not great and it's not bad. It's right in the middle. It's got good and it's got bad on it. Yeah, I gave it a three. It yeah. wasn't uh, wasn't stellar, but it was certainly it was good. Like it was good album. It's a good album. It's a good. I don't album. know if I would recommend it unless. I mean, I would recommend Richie Havens to anybody just because he's so great. I mean, it's hard to contain. They they managed to do it for I, most I of his career. I bumped it up to three just because because it's Richie. It's Richie, <laughs> and I don't know how they managed to contain all that greatness in Richie. Unfortunately, these producers. I did think a good the, job. yeah, there's some people who <laughs> didn't quite recognize what what the thing was. By the way, I have, their own I have to make this point about his Woodstock set, okay? There was, and I didn't find this out until like two years ago, this this myth that even Richie said that he played for like three hours. <laughs> so for almost my whole adult life, I was thinking that they grabbed Richie and they put him on stage because nobody was ready, to, which is true. I mean, they did grab him and say, we need you to go on right now. We got to start the show. And, and our show starters show. aren't here. Like we got, we got our show stopper. We, got, we don't got our show starters. Exactly. We got a hundred <laughs> and we already got like 200,000 people already. And they're starting still coming and coming. You got to go on. People are getting restless. They're so going to forget peace and love real quick. <laughs> so he went on and I learned this. I even probably learned this from watching the, the 10th anniversary special. Oh my God! Richie played like three hours. He played every song he knew. I've seen, I've heard Richie say that in interviews about Woodstock. <laughs> Man, I played every song I knew. I, and then I was just when I went off stage after two and a half hours. Then I heard like five hours. People, we have evidence now that Richie only played for fifty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it was a pretty powerful fifty minutes, and uh, I could imagine what it's like. I, you know, if you. Everybody's, I think, seen the footage. Yeah. The footage of Richie playing is like, is Richie Havens. Like, that is a guy he's giving sweating, 110%. And it's not because it's hot or because he's under lights. Because <laughs> there are no lights. <laughs> that is just some of the most intense playing you'll see. You know what? Let's end it on that because that's a very apt thing to say. <laughs> so, uh, next week we'll have another album from a Woodstock artist from the 70s. Even I don't know what it is. And me either. <laughs> actually, actually, I do, or else we'd be in big trouble. We've got a, a mixed bag. <laughs> well, a jumbled sack of material. <laughs> I'm gonna, by the way, uh, don't call your next album people out a jumbled sack because we will sue you because we came up with that. <laughs> We're trying to patent the name as a disease, a kind of man disease. We're going to start a new band and call it the Jumbled Sack. The Jumbled Sack. <laughs> so... Uh, we'll be with you next week. We enjoyed this one. It was really tough because we had no script and we just had an outline about, uh, I think it was a good show. When yeah. you have Richie Havens to talk about it, you know what? Yeah, it, yeah. We could have talked another half an hour if we had to. <laughs> Richie Havens, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we will uh, catch you next week. Goodbye. Just later on. Hang loose.